Seinfeld, the mom and pop store is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post show recap. And now here's the guy who is podcasting on John Voigt's microphone. I'm Rob Sestrino, and here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? I think Liam Neeson's microphone at this point would be much superior. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a big thing in this episode where the debate between George and Jerry about Liam Neeson versus John Voight. I think it's clearly at this point Liam Neeson going away. George is just way off on this. I mean, if John Voight gets to include his family, yes. then it's a really good. Yeah, I think he wins in terms of celebrity. Yeah. But Liam Neeson has even surpassed in terms of like movie draw. He's probably even surpassed Angelina Jolie, his daughter. Right. This was like the dawn of Liam Neeson at this point in 1994. And then Liam Neeson just went on to become, you know, a staple at the box office for now the next 25 years. Well, hold on. And this is an episode of uh, Inside uh, Liam. But I think that Neeson was in Schindler's List. And then he really didn't do much for like a decade. It really... He really took off. He was one of the first guys who became like a huge movie star in his 60s with Taken, right? Mm, well, like you he, are forgetting, He was, he was Akiva. around as like a second and third no, guy. Was no, no, really? no, no. Akiva, that you were missing the big blind spot in your pop culture oh, memory. Oh, was he in some dork movie? Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. He's like the main lead, 1999. Uh, oh, but first of all, that's not even a good movie. But I guess <laughs> How do you know? Film. You didn't see it? Because doesn't everyone say that's terrible? Yeah, it is, it is terrible. But no, Liam Neeson does have a big turn there. But let's not get too... Uh, we'll, t- we'll talk Liam Neeson versus John Voight when we get to that point in the scene. Seinfeld, mom and pop store here as we continue through season six of Seinfeld on the Seinfeld post-show recap. Kiva, how's your week been? It's good. Yeah, so no- November 17th, 1994. We're really... Uh, we're getting into modern times. My week has been good. I feel like the whole internet... <laughs> is buzzing about uh, my Twitter feud with, uh, with my 14-year-old sister. Wow. I did hear you talk about it on your uh, 32 Fans in 32 Days podcast. What is going on between you and your sister in the Wiz Khalifa versus Kanye of the Winokur family? Well, she's the Wiz Khalifa then, for sure. Okay. I feel, no, I just... So what does that say about you? I'm the Kanye. That's much better to be the Kanye. Okay. Wow. Wiz Khalifa lost like a million followers after that fight. Well, I know your sister has over 3,000 followers. So did she lose all of them? No, she probably gained more, actually. <laughs> so what is, the, what is the feud about without going too far off the beaten path? Well, she, she did like a video for her favorite singer. And then it got like a thousand something retweets. And her head got really big. And then like... She got cocky. Know, she, she did. And she started trash talking me. And then, you know, I asked her for... To, I said, now they have all these followers. Uh, you have to like plug my podcast, your followers. And she said, you have to give me $5. <laughs> and I said, four at that point. Like, it's going down. You better do it or it's going to go to three. Yeah. When you're a kid in high school, like, you don't have, you know, you don't right. have your own money. You got to ask your parents for money. So well, $5 is like whatever. You yeah, this it. is very similar to something that went on with Kevin Hart that became illuminated during the Sony hack scandal. Where he asked for five dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's Sony wanted Kevin Hart to promote the movie that he was going to be in, and he said, "Well, what are you going to pay me?" And they sort of like in their interoffice emails were saying that Kevin Hart is a whore. Oh, that's funny. I didn't. I didn't even know that Kevin Hart was like the, one of the big villains of the uh, of the Sony hat. I don't think he was one of the villains. I think he was probably one of the victims that this came to light that he found out that his people he worked for were calling him a whore. So anyway, so then I said, if she, um, I'm not going to give her, like, it's a pay to play thing. Like, I'll give her money if one of her, uh, but also she called her Twitter followers her fans at that point. 
which I thought was a little strange. Like, whatever. She's 14. She's a millennial. And I said, I will, uh, I will, if someone says, hey, uh, I saw the tweet that you did about your brother's podcast. Also, she, part of the deal was she had to call it the best podcast on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then if someone did that and then listened to all 95 episodes, I would give her $20. Okay. <laughs> and she couldn't split it with the guy. She couldn't like give offer like some kid $10 to listen to 95 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you should have had a quiz about how many times. Oh, no, 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 no for sure. If somebody said, I wouldn't believe them, they'd for sure be lying. But I would, I would definitely ask them questions like, what's my least favorite food? Uh, right. Uh, you know, I don't, stupid questions. And make sure they so- didn't just write some computer program. Right, that's true. I would have, yeah. There would be a whole investigation, and we could probably get, we could probably get Falconer to do like a, <laughs> you know, a program against them. So then she still wouldn't tweet about it, and obviously I don't really care. I don't. We don't need like any tweens listening. But at this point, I, I love torturing my sister. So I got my dad involved. Okay, and then he's like, and they don't understand technology, my parents. So they're like, oh my gosh, you're so rude, Kayla. Just like, uh, I won't say her full name, so I'll just call her Kayla Smith. I won't because she's a minor. I won't say her last name. Mm-hmm. So they said, uh, you know, it's so rude. Like, why can't you just plug this podcast? They don't even know like what a podcast is or anything. But they they thought she was being mean to me. So anyway, she blocked me. Now I'm reblocked by her on on uh, Twitter. Wow. And uh, she she said then she said I tweeted about it, but it got no uh, it, a thousand retweets less than her previous tweet to this horrible singer that got a thousand tweets. <laughs> it got it totally ignored. So uh, I don't I don't think we're getting any new listeners from the 14 year old group. Yeah, what family drama is happening right now from the Twitter is tearing the Winokur family apart. It's true. It's true. And I feel like I, I tried to get my parents to get like make or delete her account and that hasn't happened yet. But now I have people who listen to this podcast telling me like they're making fun of me because my sister, I only have 500 followers and she's at 3000. She's got six times more followers than me. So now it's like affecting my podcast performance. I know that. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you know, I'm sure more than that. Uh, you know, 2,500 people are listening right now. So if everyone listening could just follow me and then I could top her at 3,000, then I will have bragging bread rights. And also, my parents sent him out of the will until I get more Twitter followers than my sister. <laughs> wow, it's really tied yeah. into everything. All right, so yeah. this, is this whole story just a ploy to get more Twitter followers? Uh, no, it really happened. There's, no, there's nothing not true here. But yes. I, it, now I thought of it in the middle. It's not a bad idea. But if I just got to 3,000, I, I think my life would be perfect. <laughs> okay, so you could follow Akiva... On Twitter, he's at Keeve26. And uh, you do have your sister's Twitter in your uh, bio paragraph. Oh, but here's how insane she is. She has three different Twitter accounts. Oh, that's just one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like her old one. It's also like one is like to be obsessed with this YouTube guy. Then the one with 3,000 is to be obsessed with this singer yeah. who's atrocious. And then the other one, I'm not sure what it's for. Okay. So I, I, maybe it's because of my parents. Like, but they all have more followers than me. Oh, I think all three accounts have more followers than I do. Yeah, one of my but, other favorite moments from Twitter this week, besides the uh, Winokur family feud on Twitter, was the uh, Eric Bansimer, one of our listeners, uh, sent us the alphabet soup photo with Akiva spelled out. <laughs> yeah, but I, I thought that was nice, and now I realize that might have been a threat. <laughs> Like, he's coming for me. And then what happened with that was I was looking at Twitter on my phone, and I saw that come up, and I started laughing. And then my wife was like... Did you spit out your soup then? No, I was not eating soup. She's like, what's so funny? Why are you laughing? I said, you know what? It's a really, really long story. And she just like gave me like this blank look. And then I proceeded to go into the story of how 
on the Seinfeld podcast, Akiva said he was going to list his favorite soups, and he went through his 25 favorite soups, and it was alphabet soup, and then he talked about how if it, it, if, if Akiva died, they would spell out Akiva as a memorial to him, and then her only response to the story was, he has 25 favorite soups? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I'm, I mean, she hadn't listened to last week's episode at that point. This she had not. No, it was week. in her queue still. Yeah. Like the queue in this alphabet soup. I, one of the best moments on your podcast was when you uh, you looked at your phone, her phone, and you realized that, like, she didn't have your podcast. As, <laughs> she wasn't subscribed to your main podcast. Yeah. And she said she had just gotten the phone, but I think you, like, realized it had been, like, over a year <laughs> since she got yeah. the phone. No. Yeah. We can look at it today. It's just not subscribed to the podcast. But by the way, 25 favorite soups. And, and last night, my wife for dinner served a soup that's not even on the 25. Wow. Which is the most passive aggressive thing I could think of. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> all right. We have so much to get to. Uh, Akiva, you have any news for this week? Yeah, I'll give you a couple uh, quick things. Uh, if anybody's in the market for a new Porsche, you know, this is a big uh, car episode. Of oh, Sonic John Voight's Porsche? John, well, it's not John Voight's Porsche. It's someone even more famous than John Voight. Oh, Liam Neeson? I, I don't want to say more famous than Liam, but I'd say in the same A-list, you know, you know uh, strat- he's the A-list uh, of television, which I don't think is the same as the A-list of movies. Okay. Uh, it would be one Jerry Seinfeld. Oh. He, uh, he has a car collection. Yes. And he has 47 Porsches. I should have made you guess how many Porsches he had. Because there's I would no way guess 47. You guess, guess that. High. But he's gotten, it's very expensive to upkeep them probably. Every time they need a new part, that's probably a lot of money. So he's getting rid of 18 of them. Okay. So he's, he's auctioning off on May 11th uh, at uh, an auction in Florida at, on Amelia Island. The most expensive car. Guess how much his 1973 Porsche uh, 30 Can-Am Spider is going to expect it to be fetched for. Uh, 150K. No. No. It's a 1973 Porsche. I have no idea. Uh, Seven can... million dollars. Okay. <laughs> and he's got another one for six. So all total, these they're expected to go for about twenty-eight million dollars. The eighteen cars. Wow. So it's a good time to ask Jerry for a loan if you're friends with him. Yeah. Well, we were going to ask him about that when we have him on the podcast about well, how did he decide which Porsche to get rid of? That'll be down on the list. What if Jerry invited us? Like we're not comedians. But we could be in cars getting coffee with him, right? Boy, I think that maybe we could be like extras, like in the background, also eating and drinking coffee in the background of one of these places he goes. Well, yeah, I mean, now that he's selling the Porsches, like we have a better chance of getting in the back of the car maybe during the episode because he's going to have less two-seaters and more five-seaters, right? Cars with more room, sure. I hear that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, what else is happening in the news? We're not comedians, but I feel like we got a shot at doing that. Um, What else is in the news we have uh, uh, Jerry actually did stand up and he made a bet with Steve Martin. OK. And for the first time in 35 years, Steve Martin ended up uh, performing stand up. And it was because Jerry beat uh, J- he lost the bet to Jerry. And so he had to open for Jerry. What did they bet on? Uh, I don't remember. OK. <laughs> it's not so clear in the article I'm reading. OK. But uh, he lost the bet. And, uh, you know, a lot of his jokes are in the article if you want to if you want to read it. But basically... Uh, it was a big deal. Martin was like a legendary stand-up who just completely quit, wrote a book that like every comedian uh, working today has read about, you know, about stand-up. But uh, he hasn't done it since 81 until uh, this week. So Jerry's really uh, pulling some strings here. Okay. Anything else from the news? Uh, no. Slow, slow news week. Okay. Well, let's jump into talking about the episode Mom and Pop Store. And we'll talk everything about Mom and Pop and the shoes and Tim Watley and his first appearance on Seinfeld here. Today in our Thanksgiving episode of Seinfeld from 1994. 
Yeah, I do like the, you know, the random holiday episode. Like for them, it, it did air Thanksgiving time. Of course, for us, we're in February, so uh, it feels a little out of place. But have you ever been, by the way, to this Macy Day's parade? No. Okay, because to me, that's like that's sort of like the, the big thing going on in November in the city. That's like uh, if you live in Manhattan, you kind of have to go. You have to go. Well, when you, especially if you have kids. Like, you get what, shamed if you don't go? It's not that you get shamed. It's like your kids will, won't respect you. Will respect you. Like, I'm sure like real high rollers like Chester have some like fancy office building mm-hmm. that they could go to. But, uh, you know, the, the like the rank and file, you just go on the street and go you stand see outside Santa going by and you see Woody Woodpecker or whoever the modern Woody Woodpecker is. That's probably like SpongeBob or somebody. I don't know. I don't think SpongeBob is the modern anything. No. So I, who's the modern Woody Woodpecker? I wouldn't even know. That's <laughs> probably like the frozen characters or something. Something like that. All right, well, let's talk about this episode from Gamel and Pross. Maybe the best Gamel and Pross outing to date. Oh, really? Okay, that's like a little hint that you like this episode. I like this episode. Okay, so let's get into this. And we start off with Jerry's stand-up talking about the names of cars, of course, that cars always speak to Jerry. He talks about no Baron ever had a LeBaron. They call it LTD. It's limited to how many they could sell, I guess. Uh, he talks about other made-up words like Integra and Supra. To me, this is the worst stand-up of the whole series. Wow. <laughs> because he, at the end, he does like the Lamona joke that like it will be a lemon, a Lamona, and then I'm going to call my lawyer. Like that is borscht belt material from 1967. <laughs> Not, great. Not great. I thought he started off good. Yeah, the Baron never owned the LeBaron is fine. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a Ferrari, but I own uh, I don't know. Yeah. I like the LTD. Limited to what? How many you could sell? I that was yeah, I know line. Ford is known for their like uh, you know exclusive cars that they only make a few of. Yeah, this is an exclusive podcast, by the way. What? Only I think anyone who we're wants only to putting out this. like ten thousand of these. That would be like if we could just email the. Do you think that would make the podcast bigger if it was like it yeah. didn't cost money, but you had to sign up for it? Yeah, yeah. I think isn't that what Bill Simmons is doing? Do you have to sign up for his podcast? <laughs> yeah, you have to go. It's what well, is his blog? It's his blog. You have to go on it. You have to get on the email list. Well, was, he's also going to Medium. He's he's making his website on Medium, which. Already were, were, you know, two strikes to Bill Simmons. <laughs> I'm still trying to load the Medium article I wrote uh, eight months ago. <laughs> All right. So here's George on the used car lot. We open up with George and Jerry. And he has researched everything. He's looking for very specifically the 89 Volvo. No model number. Just 89 Volvo is what he's looking for. And <laughs> the guy who's working there is trying to sell him onto something else. Say, like, hey, how about this? George tells him, N.I., not interested. That didn't catch on. Yeah, it never caught on. This is the precursor to, uh, you know, these these acronyms like LMAO and stuff like that. But uh, the, yeah, the NI, it probably was funny then. Yeah, okay. So we get George looking at a LeBaron convertible. George, that's the car that he's not interested in. And the previous owner was John Voigt. Yeah, I, we have to, you know, because this is the only time we see the car salesman. What's the intention of this car salesman? Is he just like a shady used car salesman who is who knows that the previous owner is doctor, dentist, John Voigt, and is trying to pawn off a car that he knows he can't sell to this buffoon by lying and making it seem, by omission, that it's the actor John Voigt's car. Yeah, I think that's very clear. That's what's going on. Yeah, I, to me, I like, so what's all the hate with the, you know, used car dealers? Like, what, is, there, is there a more discriminated group in the United States than the used car dealer? Well, is it without cause? I don't know. I feel like uh, I love all people equally. I have no problem with any used car deal. Well, have you ever bought a used car, Kiva? Yeah, I actually uh, I, I have a used car now. It's, it's like very lightly used, but uh, I did buy it. And I feel like so far I've had only good experiences with it. Yeah, I feel like that I would probably only buy used cars at this point. Why is that? I like that. I 
well, maybe at some point, if things, you know, maybe it's a point, I'll, I'll buy a new car. But I feel like I like to go in and say, let me get the car that's like been like like used for a year. I like to go in. I don't like to like absorb that. You know, it loses 20% of the value when you drive it off the lot. Um, yeah, that makes sense. The only thing is like, I feel like no one's ever given up. I, sometimes you lease a car and you have no choice, but like no one's ever given up on a car that was amazing. <laughs> you know, I feel like a lot of times they're giving in a car for a reason. Yeah. Well, so George is going to, instead of the 89 Volvo, He's going to go walk away with the 89 LeBaron. Yeah, I feel like Buick really had its day at that time. And, and no, I don't even know if they still make Buicks now. <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> so then we end up with back at Jerry's apartment. Jerry's on the phone. He's talking to the great Tim Watley, who we will talk more about, as played by Brian Cranston. And so that Jerry is talking to him and Tim Watley wanted Elaine's address. He wants to invite Elaine to the Thanksgiving party at his house. Elaine is very excited because she has a crush on Tim Watley. Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, it seems by the end of the episode that Watley, this Watley thing, uh, which really doesn't go anywhere in this episode, is done. But, of course, he, uh, he comes back a bunch of times. Pretty studly, Tim Watley. Like, I feel yeah, like if, you, if we didn't know this was Cranston, we wouldn't know that it was Cranston. Right. Just in my memory, I'm like, boy, I think Elaine could do better than Walter White. But no, then when we see him, he's like a really good looking guy. Hunky Walter White. Uh, yeah. He had, like the beard really worked on him. Some people are beard people and some people uh, – have you, have you ever grown a beard in your life? I think there was a couple of occasions. I Can did. you grow a beard? Yes. Because I, I had like a six-week beard um, until this past week and like literally my wife's friends and people – random people would just stop me on the street and tell me to shave because I look terrible. <laughs> yeah, I might not be a beard guy. <laughs> I heard you talking about this on the other podcast. You couldn't leave your house because of the beard? I could not leave my house, but like at last week when I was podcasting, like the the the, the mustache was like in my mouth at that point. <laughs> it was like it was, it was playing defense against my face. It's good for a diet, but bad for podcast. <laughs> okay. So Jerry tries to warn Elaine about don't date a dentist. Now we know from where this is going that Jerry is certainly an anti dentite, right? That Watley is an anti. Oh, no, Jerry's, Jerry's an anti dentite. Oh, oh, okay. I thought we were saying something. Else. I, mean, I think that's, yes, Jerry is anti dentite. I don't think he I don't think he uh, especially cared about not being invited to Watley's party. I don't think he well, likes Watley, but just the idea that he's left out is so bizarre in like the annals of Seinfeld that, you know, everyone else but Jerry would be invited to a party. Yeah, but he's telling Elaine, hey, you don't want to date a dentist. You date a dentist all the time. He's going to be talking about how you brush your teeth. You should be flossing more, brush down from the gums. He says it's a nightmare. It is true. Like they, they I don't know if dentists care, but in your mind, they're probably judging you. Probably. That's why I'm nerd. Like, you don't want to podcast in front of a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, I would just be silently judging, and I, and I wouldn't want anybody here who knew what they were doing. No, no, no. You want, <laughs> that's your corner. Yeah. All right, so then we have George coming in. He sort of shakes the keys at them. Does he got the new car? Is it the Volvo? No. 89 LeBaron. Yeah, and of course, it's like George to make a rash decision. I also think, like, everyone loved Volvos then because... I don't know if they still do, but they definitely had the reputation as the safest car. Very safe car. Yeah. But you would think that that wouldn't be the biggest thing. It's not like George has like kids or anything like that. That I feel like that that's sort of like, I know I, nobody wants to like, hey, what's dangerous? But it feels <laughs> like a weird kids, thing. So let me get the, what's, what car will, will hold up the worst in an accident? Give me that one. It just doesn't seem like that would be high on like the matrix of things George is looking for in a car. Right. He wants a car that's going to pick up some babes. Yeah, you would think so. Or I could see like cheap or reliable but it just seems like, oh, I want the safest car on the market. Yeah, cheap, I think, is probably number one. You're right. Right. So consumer, <laughs> uh, I guess, reports told him it was the car to get. But 
Anyway, he's going to be driving this 89 LeBaron. And so he mentions, well, this car is good enough for John Voight. How about that? Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out like how famous John Voight was at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I guess he's like the the most famous person that they could write in and then get for, you know, the episode. Because back then, like in season three, they would have had John Voight, but they would have shown the back of his head and it wouldn't have been him. Right. Now, this is pre-Ray Donovan. So remember that. I basically divide everything in my life into the pre-Donovan and post-Donovan era. Yes, yes. Uh, I had two kids pre-Donovan and my third kid post-Donovan. Seinfeld podcast editor Scott St. Pierre, big Ray Donovan fan. I don't want to make fun of Ray Donovan. I just, I haven't seen it. Well, you can, but it won't make the episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) He'll turn me into saying something. So, so Scott, (laughs) let me know off air if I should start watching Ray Donovan. Yeah, you could say (laughs) something. Try try to say something negative. Uh, I heard, and this isn't from me. This is coming from uh, uh, Chester and Johnny DeSilvera. Ray Donovan is the best show in television history. That's, a, that's just what I heard. That's not coming from me. Here's that, uh, but <laughs> I think Alan, Alan Steppenwolf said it was literally the best show of all time. So at the time of this, John Voight, he really had not been doing too much. He had done Return to Lonesome Dove right before that. Doesn't have any... Uh, I mean, he sort of is pretty quiet through most of the 80s. Yeah, again, they, they were still not at the point where they were getting actors. And also, like, if you get a big enough actor, like Cruz, even if he would agree to come... Like, he, you still have to pay him and probably, like, pay all his people to be there on yeah. set. And, you know, so, you know, you need someone who's low maintenance, uh, oh. you know. Well, did you watch the inside look on this? Because uh, Gamble and Prost, talk about, like, this is a true story. I don't know if it's Gamble or Prost actually did buy the used car. That right, that's a good point. Yeah, John yeah, Voight. <laughs> that it was John Voight. So I guess he was their first choice. That's true. Yeah, that's I'm sure that point. this was the actual John Voight was the person that was in the treatment. Right, that's a good point. Uh, th- right. The thing I was thinking is like, what if you don't get John Voight? Yeah. But, right. They do say that it was the, it was the writer's uh, idea. Although, I don't know. I, any, anything they say there, it's like an exit interview on a television show. It's, <laughs> it's not canon? Possible. No, it's not canon. Well, they were talking about how like, and actually, and through a funny way, we actually did get to meet John Voight uh, when he came on to do this episode. Yeah. I think, uh, what, if, what if it was, you know, uh, Christian Bale? And they just couldn't get bail in 94 or now. Uh, well, now forget about getting bail. He'll come. I don't even know if they, they don't have, you know, they wouldn't let him on set. Yeah. It was like Joaquin Phoenix. Hmm. Well, easier to get than uh, some of the other Phoenixes. Uh, oh, so too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Sorry. The fun, not so fun fact. Uh, well, you want a Joaquin Phoenix in 1994? I mean, had he even done Gladiator yet? I, I mean, well, was River still with us in 1994? Uh, I don't believe so. I want to say he's like 92. I think it was like right after he did the Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, but but pre Ray Donovan, he died. <laughs> yes, in the, yes. Or as they say uh, back, it was uh, you know 22 PRD. Yes, 22 PRD. I, I do think every measurement for the rest of the series now is going to be is going to. I thought of something even stupider before the podcast, but I think there we go. I think we we have our running. We, you know, we're approaching episode 100, so I do think we have to recycle some of our our bits. Maybe oh, that's our go. clip show. Oh yeah, the clip show. Yeah. I, I do think that I can't like at, at this point from now on, it's really hack. And I can't mention that I hate chocolate anymore. Like I have to maybe no more non-canon, uh, a couple more things. But like we have to start getting some new bits for the back nine. <laughs> okay. So this is our first one. The PRD, I think this is going to be big. 
This could really bring us up to, you know, number one on iTunes. I think so. So I thought the soup would, but I'm not sure that happened. <laughs> not yet. No, everybody hasn't heard it yet. It's in a lot of people's queue, like my wife. So Jerry, I think much like last week where, uh, he, you know, he starts sort of like putting the idea out there, like maybe the waitress didn't like your story about the manure that he's able to, again, say like, uh, you know, so you bought the car because it was John Voight's car. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> Like George is in denial at first, trying to like, uh, you know, he doesn't want people to think that's really why he bought the car. That's not such a bad, like, it's a funny anecdote. It's like a good date anecdote. Like, hey, this used to be John Voight's car. I mean, obviously, one problem is like you're making like Jerry's making a joke about the LeBaron and the stand up. Like, unless John Voight is a real cheapo depot, like he's not buying uh, LeBaron. You know, he's probably uh, first of all, like, I feel like even like really rich people in New York just have like a driver or a car service. They don't even have a car. Mm-hmm. Like, I know some very wealthy people in Manhattan and even like celebrities. It's not even worth it. Right. If you have a car, then you're like you have to park it or like find a garage that's far away and put it in. It's annoying. Yeah. So and, and now you just Uber or whatever. <laughs> right. So then uh, George finally admits to, OK, maybe he did buy it because it was John Voight's car. Yeah. N- nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And Elaine says that he never even has a car in any of his movies. Deliverance, Canoe, Midnight Cowboy, uh, Runaway Train. Uh, so she says no, no cars for John. Now, I don't know necessarily like what he drives in a movie, what is reflected uh, in whether or not he actually had a LeBaron. But they're all very skeptical about this. Yeah. Maybe he can't drive. So like he only takes movies like Runaway Train where he's on a train. Yeah. Now, have you seen any of these movies, specifically Midnight Cowboy? No, which is which is a big sort of influence on this episode and and especially the ending. Yes. I've heard of it. Isn't it with John Wayne? No. No. Oh. John Voight. John Voight. <laughs> oh, but I, there's no it's not Wayne. It's not a Wayne and Voight picture. No, Dustin Hoffman. Oh. I, I actually watched a, some clips on YouTube. I've never seen it either, but I did uh, watch some clips on YouTube. Did you watch the it. end? I really should have checked out the end. Yes. But I, I, yes. It would have hurt my street cred. If yeah, I had big seen spoilers it. in the end. Yeah. Let's say people. But this was, you know, this was pre- Spoiler era. I feel like the Sixth Sense brought about the spoiler era. Yeah, I don't know if there's a twist ending in Midnight Cowboy. I mean, Midnight Cowboy is made in 1969. So, I mean, we, we are closing in on it's got to be like the 25th anniversary of Midnight Cowboy here in 94. Yeah, is that what it is? Like the big Blu-ray was coming out, so they paid them some money to horseshoe it in? <laughs> That's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is that a horseshoe cowboy pun? Um, no, I just, yeah, I think you're supposed to say, sho- like, what do you shoe it in? Yeah, well, I just uh, make- <laughs> yeah, much like at the mom and pop store, they're going to shoehorn it in. Shoehorn. I said horseshoe. Okay, whatever. It's late. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here comes Kramer. He says they have to save the mom and pop store. Mom and pop store is going down because if they don't do something, they're just going to open up another gourmet coffee or cookie place around here. And I thought this was pretty funny that <laughs> a little meta where Elaine is like, oh, I like coffee. And George is like, I, I like cookies. And he's like, yeah, because you're yuppies. Uh, yeah, Kramer does throughout the you know, series think that they're, I mean, I guess now yuppies are hipsters, right? I don't know. I thought about this uh, quite a bit after. <laughs> because not too much. <laughs> I, probably too much. Because I feel like that philosophically, I feel like the yuppie and the hipster sort of come at things, while they have some similarities, I feel like that they come at the world from two ideologically different viewpoints. Well, a yuppie was already sort of like successful, right? And a hipster does not have to be successful. Mm, yeah. Like I a almost, yuppie has like a nine to five job or like a fan, like he's on Wall Street or right. something. 
I don't know, a hipster a hipster owns like a, an artisanal you know cheese store or something right i feel like in some ways there's sort of like two sides of the same coin where i feel like the hipster is sort of like the rejection of the yuppie lifestyle yeah but aren't hipsters like people like is it the same age like are hipsters like late 20s and then yuppies are like late 30s well i'm not sure if there are yuppies anymore i feel like that yuppies were sort of of a time and a place that's true so what are there now now there's just like evil wall street guys yeah <laughs> I'm not sure. So I don't know exactly what's going like. I almost feel like that the yuppie is sort of like the adoption of the like ideological white collar lifestyle of like that. You know, we are so we have all these things, a very materialistic type of lifestyle. And I feel like that the hipster probably is like at least is the outward rejection of that. That's fair. And, uh, you know, even I though feel they're like, very concerned <laughs> with their iPhone and their apps and stuff like that. So and like, their beards, especially their, their beards. Beard. Right. So it's sort of like, Ooh, am I a hipster? Maybe, maybe. No, I just shave. Maybe I'm not a hipster anymore. <laughs> I'm going to open up an artisanal soup store. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the hipster would probably, uh, you know, reject the yuppie and the yuppie would reject the hipster. But they probably Who do you identify with more a yuppie or a hipster at this point probably closer life. to the yuppie than the hipster. Yeah, I don't think the hipsters will have anyone who's been on reality TV. Yeah, yeah. Like the hipsters love podcasting. Like you would live if you lived on the East Coast, you'd live in Brooklyn to be a podcaster or whatever. But I, the fact that you've been on reality TV, I think it might maybe knocks you out of being a hipster. Yeah. So I feel like that I could probably uh, have something in common with both sides, but you know, I don't have a, a, a weirdo mustache. Okay. You could you could grow one maybe Potentially. or like buy one. Yeah, I should buy one. Uh, that would be the ultimate yuppie hipster move to buy a handlebar mustache. You're bald. <laughs> okay. So Kramer needs to gather all of Jerry's shoes to go bring them down to the mom and pop store. We have a new nickname, uh, which uh, Kramer says, uh, hey, Bogombo. Now, is that just a made up word? Yeah. So uh, Amir uh, Bednarsh, uh, uh, he messaged me today and he said, that he looked into the word Bogambo and he did some research and nothing, nothing came up. There's, yeah. there's no origin. It's not an urban dictionary. So I'm not sure if this was like a word in the writer's room or where they came up with it. By the way, I feel like that it was an omission on our part. And usually, Akiva, you are on top of this. But nary a word has been said on this podcast about the recent passing of Boutros Boutros Ghali, who was only mentioned on the podcast but a few months ago. I believe, is that in the Hamptons that Boutros Boutros Gali comes up? Yeah, you know, I, I actually made a note to, uh, you know, to myself to mention it but when it happened, but I didn't. What I have to do is I tab it, and then I tab the news stories, but I forgot to tab Boutros, so sorry, Boutros. Uh, fun fact, uh, you were mentioned a few months ago. Uh, I'm sure you're a great guy. I don't know much about you, but, uh, yeah. you know. That's going to be a real find for the guy that's seven months behind us when he gets to that point. Oh, when we talk about I don't I see. I feel like it for whatever reason went under the radar. Sometimes you don't want to die. I don't know when he died, but like you don't want to die on like a Friday night unless you're like Michael Jackson. That's going to get it's going to get swept under the weekend rug. I don't know? think Michael Jackson died on a Friday night. Didn't he didn't. But you know what I'm saying? You have to be like really a list for your death to matter on a weekend. Yeah. And he was also out of the like were there, there are a lot of really Boutros Boutros golly fans out there. I got no problem with yeah. him. But you know, Princess Diana, she died on a Saturday night and that's like the ultimate yeah but life. if you're Princess Diana you can die whenever you could die you know three in the morning on Christmas you're, it's gonna be a big deal yeah it's a big deal so anyway <laughs> he goes and gets all of Jerry's shoes to go take them in he wants to know if any if Jerry has any shoes uh, to be cobbled uh, it's a big week for cobblers yeah are there still cobblers 
<laughs> Did you see Better Call Saul yet this week? Oh, I haven't. I have not seen Better Call Saul. Well, that's the name of but the episode. But now I can. Cobbler. Now I know it's all about cobblers. Forget that's the name of the spoiling. episode. Yeah. All right. So Kramer takes all of Jerry's sneakers and then he brings them to the mom and pop store. And again, we have a, sort of a funny moment that they're saying, oh, so many sneakers. And Kramer says, yeah, well, Jerry, he has a Peter Pan complex. Yeah, I don't. What does that joke mean? I didn't get it. <laughs> I think that he just refuses to be a grown up. I think that he has to wear sneakers all the oh, time. Oh, I, I hear what you're saying. OK, that actually makes sense. Yeah. So Kramer. And again, this episode to me is uh, very reminiscent of uh, with uh, Babu Bot, where Kramer is trying to help out the people, the mom and pop. And he ends up ultimately closing them down. He's a very, very, very bad man. And, and so, Poppy. Yes. Yeah. So he gives them the sneakers and then he ends up with a nosebleed. And really the Kramer nosebleed storyline doesn't ultimately go anywhere other than Kramer looking at the wires in the roof. Right. It's it's a means to an end, but they keep it going like a little bit. And then at the end, it's sort of like it's the reason why the episode ends. But that, you know, the ending is really awful. Right. Uh, spoiler. Uh, you know, so to me, that is definitely the week that that's getting an F. I'll tell you right now. Save time. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like one of these things where it seems like in the earlier draft, you can sort of see the seams on this where I wonder sure. if at the Tim Watley party, if it was supposed to be Kramer has a nosebleed and that's why he has to put his head backwards. And he's the one who in an earlier version of the script knocks the Empire State Building statue into the Woody Woodpecker balloon. It just seems weird that Kramer and Jerry both end up with a condition that requires them to put their head all the way back. Yeah, it's true. I think Kramer does that, and then Jerry does the tooth thing and, like, spills soda on the couch or something, and that's what upsets Watley, and that's what gets Watley to, uh, you know, say whatever Watley says to Jerry. So you could have killed both birds and sort of tied the, uh, the nosebleed story in more. I wonder if they just needed a reason to get Jerry to the party then and sort of like tacked on instead of Jerry sneaking into the party. They were like, no, we need to have some reason for Jerry to to be there. What if he like he ultimately wouldn't care about trying to sneak in? And I wonder if that's how the story ultimately got to where Jerry hurt his tooth and he needs to go see the dentists. It's a good point. OK, so we'll see. We'll, we'll put that on the list of questions. OK, OK, put it on, Sean. <laughs> OK, question for Jerry. Back in the mom and pop store, <laughs> was it originally in the draft? Or maybe this could be just a question for Gamble and Pross. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. If I could find Gamble and Pross on, on social media, that's not a bad question. I feel like we me. have two shots at them. Oh, no, Gamble does not go on without Pross. They're like Penn and Teller. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they, well, you can't get Gamble without Pross or Pross without Gamble. That's they haven't not split up? Yeah, no, they, they don't split up. They're, I think it's they're, they're like favorite nations 50-50. Like if, you know, if one of them is incapacitated, he still owes the other one 50% of his salary. Yeah, they're like the mom and pop of writing. Yeah, but they're, they're not actually parents, Campbell and Pross. They're, they're like single guys who live together. All right. So Kramer looks up in the ceiling and sees all of the wires going on in the mom and pop store. And really, and I feel like there's really no comedy whatsoever that comes out of the mom and pop store itself. Uh, no comedy, uh, no like drama. Kind of a sad story. No musical. Yeah, it is sad. But then like they have the... the shoe sale or the the garage sale which you know is sad but okay it's like fine they're pathetic people like they, they know immediately when they get the four thousand dollar bill they're like okay that's the end of the store there's no way we could pay that you know you can't i guess if you own the, the reason why the cobbler business is so outdated probably is like there's no big scores like if you use car salesman you cannot sell a car for two weeks but then you get like two cars in a day and you're golden for a while right mm-hmm. if you're a cobbler it's not like oh man this guy just came in with eight million shoes at five bucks a piece, so I'm I'm set. 
Yeah. Not a really great business plan. So Kramer, he has the nosebleed. He's looking up at the ceiling, says this place could blow at any minute. You need to get an electrician in here. All right. So we see Elaine at Mr. Pitt's office, and she is working on a big project for Mr. Pitt. She's taking all the salt off of the pretzel sticks. Akiva, what's your preferred method of pretzel ingestion? Do you like the stick or the actual traditional pretzel? I do like the stick. It makes me a little nervous with my teeth sometimes. I feel like it's gonna, one day it's going to like break my tooth. Yeah. Well, don't do it over Thanksgiving four-day weekend. It's very hard to get it to a dentist. Yeah, that's true. I think, um, I think that uh, – by, by the way, if you were pit wealthy, if you had – and we don't really know exactly. Like he's more fancy than wealthy maybe. But let's say you had like $100 million and you had like per, a couple personal assistants. So Pitt has Elaine clear the salt of his presence. What's like the most eccentric or crazy thing you'd do if you had that much money? I think that maybe just somebody, uh, maybe not, like I wouldn't have somebody like uh, taking the salt off my pretzels, but I feel like that if I could just have somebody that's just, you know, preparing meals for me, that would really be good because. Yeah, but that's not so eccentric. I feel like that's one of the first things people who have that much money well, get. Akiva, I don't have that much yet, okay? So. No, no, no I'm starting to Can you imagine in a, in, a, in a hypothetical world where you have a few hundred million dollars? Yes. And you have multiple personal assistants. So you don't need someone for. One, you know, you, you have a driver, you have, you know, nannies and, and all that sort of thing. Okay. Now, what, like it, but you now you have like an extra guy that's like an intern. He makes like, you know, like, a, you know, a small salary, but you can you're still paying him like short term to do something. What is his like wacky job? Is it like for me? I, I don't know. It would be like a guy who just fed me Twizzlers or something like that. Well, that's that's weird. That's uh, that's almost <laughs> like a fetish adjacent, Akiva. I love Twizzlers. I'm not like he wouldn't like put them in my mouth, but he would be in charge of getting them when I want the Twizzler. Does the guy have an outfit or what is, is he wearing no, like no, a no. suit? Not, like, doesn't have to dress in a is he like a costume. butler. Is he like uh, he just, just waits? He could sit on his phone all day. And when I when I yell for Twizzlers, he comes in and he gets me Twizzlers. Hmm. I would not mind somebody that had like sort of like a, a blowtorch that was just like uh, keeping my coffee like uh, scalding hot the entire time I drink it. See, that's good. That I like. Yeah, the guy's just a coffee because sometimes you'll hear about like a guy like a celebrity or someone in the NBA who's got who has someone whose job it is like just to, you know, warm up your car for you. You mm-hmm. know, there's the, car, there's the there's like the car, the getaway man. And there's the guy who, who uh, you know, warms up your car. And, and then, you know, you have like the the the, the Cato Kalins if you're OJ. But, yeah. you know, I, I think the coffee warmer is a good idea. That's not bad because I have this USB like coffee warmer, which is basically just like a disc that like gets hot. And basically, uh, if you have more than like a centimeter of liquid in the cup, it does nothing like that, that bottom, like that last sip is is like scalding hot. But outside of that does actually very, very little. But I feel like if somebody could just be keeping the coffee hot, I feel like I have to drink it too fast because I don't want it to get cold. It's not a bad idea. Okay. So something to think about for down the road. All right. So Elaine with Mr. Pitt, he's taking the salt off all the pretzels. Elaine, all of a sudden, is very into big band music. Elaine's dad made her learn all the names of these songs. And they're having a big contest on the radio that day where the winners of the contest who named the song can go and hold the Woody Woodpecker balloon (laughs) at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And that's all Mr. Pitt wanted was to somehow hold Woody Woodpecker in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. So a very fortuitous moment for Mr. Pitt. Oh, yeah. What, how, what a coincidence. And by the way, this is like a punishment to have to hold the, the balloon for like a couple hours in the freezing cold and parade. Yeah. Because you see it walk by for a second, but the parade's going on for like 30 blocks or something. Mm-hmm. So it turns out Mr. Pitt's father was a stern man. 
And so maybe this sort of like speaks to some of these other habits that we see in Mr. Pitt where he's obsessed with looking at a magic eye or eating pretzels or candy bars and things like uh, holding the Woody Woodpecker balloon. You know who was a stern man also? Who? Like whose dad was who? a stern man? Who? Uh, 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 Fred Stern. Yes. Howard's dad. Okay. That was a long way to go for that. Akira. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Scott's going to punish you for that Ray Donovan crack and leave that in. <laughs> Wait, I don't even, I may have even, I like thought about it for so long because I didn't remember Howard's dad's name. And like, I was like, do I have time to Google it quickly? And then I'm like, aborted attempt. What, but you're a Stern fan. So what's, what's Howard's dad's name? Honestly, uh, I, that I, I, is it Fred? I think that that seems weird. No, that- Fred, no, because Fred is, Fred is the guy in the studio. So it's probably not Fred. Ben, I believe it is. Ben. So Jerry and George are walking on the street and now Jerry drops the bomb on George that boy, you know, for this car that John Voight might have driven, you're really worked up about this. George's like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean might? Are you saying that there's a possibility that John Voight did not drive this car? And didn't Jerry just do this exact same thing last episode, which in yes. theory is next episode because they filmed it. It's the exact same scene mm-hmm. with last week where he's like, maybe she doesn't have a boyfriend. Yeah. So. The doubt is in George's head. And uh, so (laughs) we get into uh, he can't believe that the used car salesman would have made that up. And so Jerry is saying, uh, well, maybe maybe he did. And he couldn't say that, oh, this was Liam Neeson's car. And that's when they get into the argument over George is like, you think Liam Neeson is better than John Voight? Right. Which at the time is probably like, I'm sure they came up with the most equal person, right? I think it's a little bit of different generations. I feel like that where Liam Neeson was probably the up and comer who was the new hotness where John Voight had the bigger body of work. I'm sure you could come up with the parallel in like any of the major professional sports. Or yeah, what if it was like, what would, what would the argument be today? Is it like... Uh... It's like Zac Efron versus Ansel Elgort. Like one is probably going to be much more famous in two years, but he's not there yet. Mm. I'm not sure if that's well, who is the second person. Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort. Yeah, he's in like the fault of our fault in our stars. Okay, I'm not sure. I mean, so you, you have you know, to, by the way, by the end when someone listens to this in two years, and Ansel <laughs> Elgort is like the new Tom Cruise. People are going to be like, why, why is Rob, like, has Rob never heard of him? <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like that maybe if you want to say the modern day John Voight, the 94 John Voight of today, um, could you say something like Johnny Depp? Could he be the modern day? No, Johnny Depp is way too famous. Way too big? Way too what big. about like Ray Romano now? Yeah, but that's TV versus film. Oh, what do you like better, TV or film? I would say that I would like, I like prefer TV. Oh, really? Okay, that's a hot take. Yeah. Okay. So, when did John Voight win? It's not Ray Romano. It, what, did, does John Voight have an Oscar? Yeah, that's the question. So, uh, so if John Voight is winning Oscars. What about Roberto Benigni? No, he's like too, he's too no, no, a little nobody. too one hit wonder. Yeah. Tom Hardy? <laughs> I don't know. I think he's better than Tom Hardy. He's better than he's better than Hardy. Yeah. Okay. So John Voight. Casey Affleck. What about Casey? Like related to a big celebrity. So like people know his name, but he's not like a huge star. I think that that's sort of apples and oranges type of thing where, yes, he became. I got got it. You're going to love this one. Who? Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. Okay. He's like, oh, no, no, no. no. Oh, well, that guy's dead. Forget it. Um, Yeah. Okay. So John Voight, it seems like the biggest things from his career are around like the late 60s, early 70s. So you want somebody whose peak 
is like around like 95 here. In oh, this. okay. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt's car. <laughs> I think that this, it's, it's different now where it's like a uh, leading man to a leading lady. I don't know why. Well, well listen, you know, I, I, you know we're in a post-gender. I know side. we're post-gender. We could make any, like we can't make a cross-gender reference. What about Steven Seagal? <laughs> no, because that's like a punchline because he's so washed up. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't even want his car anymore because he probably like, you know, took a hammer to it or something. Yeah. Okay, so trying to find like some sort of like dramatic lead for a movie from the '90s. Nick Cage is again another one of these guys. He's a little too famous. Right, I got it. I, Kevin Costner. Yeah, very good, okay. perfect. Got Kevin it. Costner right now though. This is Kevin Costner's car. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I, I, the the only other person that could I, Matt Dillon isn't bad either. <laughs> yeah, because like, he has a more famous brother now, but he was famous. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you nailed it with Costner. Okay, Kevin Costner now, and then you know, give me your your up and coming guy. <laughs> oh, I have to give you the up and coming guy. <laughs> yeah, um, I get Ansel Elgort. Okay, sure. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so that's what's that's the modern day debate here. Boy, we really. If boy, if you're sticking around for this for this episode, then you are a true fan of the Seinfeld Post Show Recap Podcast. I think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't if like if you had skipped this whole one, I will, and like go to next week, I wouldn't even blame you. Yeah, Kiva's <laughs> sister is already saying to skip this one. I feel like I feel like I, I just don't. I didn't want to get like too uh, involved because she could send their whole Twitter army and like give us one star reviews. We don't want that, <laughs> right? Right. We don't want that. Anyway, so that George is like questioning, but why would the used car dealer do this? And uh, Jerry has the line says like that's the genius of it uh which comes back later on in the episode but jerry steps in gum can't go in the car and they have to go back to jerry's apartment and get different shoes and there's a very funny scene of george singing the song from uh, midnight cowboy (laughs) about uh everybody's talking at me i'm just driving around driving john voight's car again i have no familiarity filming whatever that's a hard word with with uh Midnight Cowboy. So I missed all this stuff. The first time I watched it, the second, and now the millionth. Like, I don't. So to me, I don't like. Not that the episode doesn't hold up, but it's such a random, obscure reference. This is why you should be team, uh, you know, two and a half men that doesn't make any pop culture references because you'd never miss these. You'd miss out on this, Akiva. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Describe. That's like, by the way, that's great music for, uh, like in a movie when you know I'm we're like working on a farm and we're like building something. Well, the credits were rolling in the opening there. Yes. Oh, hmm, that's not great credit rolling music. I yeah. don't know. I feel like old movies did a really good job of just having like one song over and over and over again. That's just like this is the song from that movie. It's true. Like Titanic, that, mo- that music plays like twenty times. Yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I like that. You want one song per movie. Yes, yes. And then that's the song. <laughs> There's a funny bit, the TV show Love, which I imagine you haven't seen yet, right? Uh, that is the uh, Gillian Jacobs show. Yes, I really liked it. I, I, I pounded it this week. Whoa. And I, I think I liked it better. Than, I don't know if it's a better show than Master of None, but I liked it a lot better than Master of None. I, think, I felt it was more, you know, it told both sides of the similar story mm-hmm. with, you know, you got to see Gillian's side and Paul Russ's side. Yes. Um. And but anyway, the point is they had a funny bit in there where like Paul Rust and his friends get together and write theme songs for movies that like would never have a theme song. <laughs> OK, I feel like you, that would be up. Your I'm alley. in. I'm in now. Yeah. <laughs> Talk me into it. That, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get through vinyl first. I'm going to catch up on vinyl. I hear it's uh, I hear it's OK. 
It's okay. All right. And get through. There's been like two episodes. Now. <laughs> All right, but the first episode's two hours. Oh, that's and really, three that's hours of vinyl to catch up on. No, oh, that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> Calm down, Scorsese. All right. So Kramer comes in, Jerry's screaming, hey, where are all my shoes? And we find out that Kramer's taken all of the shoes to mom and pop. And Jerry is left only with one pair of shoes, which are a pair of cowboy boots that Jerry got when he worked at a club in Dallas and they couldn't pay him. And so they paid him with these cowboy boots. Akiva, does this story seem highly implausible to you? Um, I feel like it's something that some of these comedy clubs, like I've heard comedians, you know, they'll go on like WTF with Mark Marin. And they'll be like, when I was starting out, you know, like I got stiffed a bunch of times. So it's actually probably a realistic story, especially Jerry was on the road for so many years. I do think it's something that he wouldn't put in that was something so absurd in like his main profession. You know, I totally get that he would get stiffed at a comedy club. But the fact that they would then pay him with a pair of cowboy boots and he would accept that payment and lug around the cowboy boots. Do you find that plausible at all? Uh, Jerry in real life? No, but I think it's in theory, it could happen in uh, to like a comedian who was into gags more. Like Jerry would be like, "Yeah, forget it. I don't want anything." Right. All right. So Jerry is going to have to wear the cowboy boots. He doesn't want to wear the cowboy boots because uh, I don't want to be a cowboy. Yeah, really, one of the great wines of the whole series from Jerry. Yeah. Good callback to the puffy shirt from last season. And so we find out also that George and Kramer have been invited to Tim Watley's party. Jerry has not gotten the invite to the party. I feel like we have talked about this many times before here on the Seinfeld Post Show recap. I feel like notably uh, (laughs) during the crazy Joe Davola saga of Kramer was having a party. So explain to me the scenario where Tim Watley is good friends with Kramer, Elaine, and George. But Jerry is on the outs. To me, it makes sense in the way that there's no way you could know the, the, the other three and not know Jerry. But what if you knew all four of them and you just really didn't like Jerry or you had like a fight with him last time and Jerry didn't realize because Jerry is narcissistic, didn't realize they really offended Watley or something. I guess so. But I feel like that Jerry would have to know in some way that Tim Watley doesn't like him. No, he may uh, not care. But I he feel might not like care. that he is very I don't, do you know who, I feel like there's people who don't like you or me and, and we don't know. I guess, I guess. Especially I, if someone's a narcissist, they spend no time thinking about who likes them and who doesn't. Probably. But I feel like I'm very tuned in to like, if somebody is going out of their way to not have me be somewhere, I feel like I'm very, I'm very tapped into that because my gut, like my baseline is that nobody likes me. That's my baseline sort of so thing. So you notice when someone does like you. <laughs> right, right. I'd be much more like... Uh, like What's so, the tell when someone likes you? When somebody likes me, they have to like repeatedly tell me like in every conversation, uh, you know, Rob, I, I just want to say, I really like you. Like, oh, uh, so they actually have to say the words yes, I like you constantly yes. for you to know. And then if they don't say that, I'm like, uh, I think that, I think that they, <laughs> they, they, they must not. I don't think they like me anymore. I think that's it. So... I feel like that I would be sort of like uh, very attuned to that if somebody did it. Because I'm always looking for the clues that people don't like me. Sure. But I also think we're both the type of people that would assume we're not invited to the party unless it was very clear. Mm, yeah. There have been times where, you know, like a wedding is like, what's the, what's like, usually weddings are like six to eight weeks out. You get the invitation. And like for me, it's like under six weeks. And I'll say to my wife, like, hey, like, are we not invited to that party or that wedding or that bar mitzvah or something? You know, mm-hmm. and we usually are. Because like if it's someone I'm wondering about, then. You know, it's like because I would it wouldn't even be on, you know, like an issue. I would always assume not. And my, my father, who has to go to a lot of events because he's a rabbi and he's got a congregants and stuff like to him, the best thing you could do is not invite him. <laughs> so I feel the same way. Yeah. 
So Jerry is talking about like, well, why wouldn't he be invited to the party that Tim Watley called him up and asked him on the phone for Elaine's address? And George very gleefully gets to say, that's the genius of it. So good turnaround on that. Yeah, I do. I mean, if you really hate someone, then it does make sense to, you know, to start, let them because if Jerry doesn't know about the party, who cares that you're not inviting him like you didn't do anything. But if you really hate Jerry, you want him to know that he's missing out on the party of the year. Boy, is this Tim Watley or Heisenberg? I feel like this is, you know, listen, the, the seeds were planted. You know, he was a simple chemistry teacher uh, posing as a dentist. But the seeds for his sort of like uh, anti-hero character are planted right here. Why would Jerry bring anything? Okay. Uh, are you a Breaking Bad guy? Sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I do like at the end of this scene that George says to Kramer, hey, I got uh, John Voight's LeBaron. And Kramer says, boss. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Boss has come back and gone in and out like 50 times. Yeah. All right. So flash to the sad story at the mom and pop store. Electrician says it's going to be $4,000 to fix it. Mom and pop, they are very upset about this. It's that idiot and the bloody nose. They don't even go for a joke here in this scene. No, there's nothing. Yeah, nothing. Go- no, this is a tragedy. Uh, yeah, I mean... The, all the, yeah, not not the strongest scene in the series. All right. So George and Jerry are driving the car. And uh, really, George is uh, very pumped up to be driving the LeBaron in November with the top down. And Jerry opens the glove box and finds a pencil. Hey, that's John Voight's pencil. Yeah, it is kind of a brilliant sort of connection here. Like I do credit the writers for thinking of something so outside the box. This is definitely not some sort of sitcom. Outside trope, the right? glove box? Yeah. But again, maybe they didn't think of something outside the box because it sounds like this actually happened to Gamel and Pross. How much of this was sort of like a one-for-one recreation of the actual story? Uh, yeah, that's it's a good point. Uh, listen, I, if you have something so interesting happen in your life, I'll get you know I'll give them credit, even if they're just copying, you know, ripping it from their own headline. <laughs> All right, so Jerry finds the owner's manual to the car, and it finds out that the car was owned by John Voigt, J O H N Voigt. Now. What is this like some sort of like elementary school textbook that you have to write your name on the inside of the driver's manual? Yeah, it should be like a piece of paper or something in there, like, you know, some sort of official document. I don't know if the driver's manual is ever, you know, you don't get an inscribed. Maybe if you drive a Ferrari, they write your name in it or something. Yeah, that's a little off. But uh, it turns out that Jerry and very gleefully now is saying that maybe John Voigt spelled his name wrong. Sometimes I spell Jerry with a G and an I. <laughs> yeah, they really are like one-upping each other here in this episode. Yeah, and George gets really mad and he kicks Jerry out of the car. Now, is this a sin that George can ever come back from as a friend? This seems like uh, this is like the nuclear option. Hey, get out of the car and just drop you off anywhere. I mean, it's a little different being dropped off in Manhattan than like if we're in El Paso and you're just like, in the desert or something, you know, just cowboy boots to get back with just cowboy boots near Walter White's house. <laughs> anyway, so he gets kicked out of the car and Jerry is still going. He's like, Hey, there's Gregory Peck's bicycle. <laughs> there's Barbara Mandrell's skateboard. Yeah. The Barbara Mandrell is a worse reference than, uh, you know, basically anything we've had so far. Yeah, I think I that's <laughs> again, I think he's going for other 1970 references, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so now a bunch of guys like come up to Jerry and like uh, try to accost him and uh, that they basically say to him like, uh, hey, where are you going, cowboy? Yeah, the hoods are very like they're not the same guys as like the Puerto Rican Day Parade type uh, hoods, you know, mm-hmm. that we see a few times. But like, you know, like anytime we see a bad neighborhood type of guy, like it's always two guys and they're always like 
more menacing, like talking wise than actually like doing something. It's always a gang of two. Yeah. Except for the guy that found Nana in the alley. Well, that guy is nice. He's not, a, he's not like, uh, he's not a bad guy. <laughs> he's not menacing. Yeah. Where's your horse, cowboy? And then we cut to commercial and then we come back to Jerry's apartment and we find out that Jerry actually fell and hurt his mouth on the fall. I actually had a <laughs> bad fall in my house today myself, but I did not fall on my head. Uh, did you Snapchat it? No, I was not. I was not Snapchatting, but uh, it was it was so dumb. And I was just like I was like trying to put my son down and I like sort of like mistimed like I was like where how how tall he was. And I just ended up like falling on my ass. And then uh, my wife had a good laugh with that. All right. At least you're making her happy. I was laughing, too. I was laughing, too. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's, it, I'm okay. Anyway, so George is ready to go to work. <laughs> uh, he's like all dressed up in a suit. We haven't seen him back at work. And so he's talking himself into maybe John Voight changed his name for show business. Cause that's zippier. Just like how Akiva changed his name to Keeve because that was zippier for podcasting. Well, it was Wiener Kurvichinger and, and I switched it to Wiener to be, it's more catchy. <laughs> I think, you know, also it's like, sometimes there's a union issue. Like John Voight's a, maybe a common enough name that like, you couldn't get that, and you know, you're, you're, every actor could only have, you know, there could only be one name per, right, one actor per name, I guess. So in like SAG, you know, there's a lot of like fake names, or you get the initials. Like there's probably a Philip Hoffman, so like he has to be Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. right? There's yeah, already a Michael like, Fox. You have to be Michael J. Fox. Correct. Yeah, and I think that uh, that might have also been the case. I think with Jason Alexander. Yes, he switched his name. His son uses their original name. Yeah. Okay, so we end up with George that he's going to go to work and try to use the power of the Yankees to see if he can figure something out. Yeah. By the way, he's Jay Greenspan, so I feel like his son should have switched to Alexander also. <laughs> yeah. All right, so it's just Elaine and Jerry now, and Elaine has gotten to the bottom of the Tim Watley thing. In the deleted scene, did you watch that? Yep. In the deleted scene that uh, she is going into a bit more of like Jerry is trying to get her to call Tim Watley. She says that she's trying to maintain a mystique. And then she like goes like very much into detail about how Mr. Pitt is a mental patient. Yeah, it didn't really like it was okay, but it didn't really add anything. Yeah. Anyway, so Elaine has found out from Tim Watley. She asked him if Jerry should bring anything to the party. And... Tim Watley said, why would Jerry bring anything? And Jerry wants to know, was which syllable did he emphasize? Why would Jerry bring anything? Or why would Jerry bring anything? Was it Jerry or bring? Right. And we never really get the answer. I, I guess, do we get the answer at the end? Like, the way he says it, who invited you anyway? Like, even that could sort of be facetious. Or you think he actually wasn't invited? I think he wasn't invited to the party. And Elaine <laughs> says that I think he emphasized would. So I guess that uh, Tim Watley said, why would Jerry bring anything? Right. But wouldn't you just say, why would Jerry com- come? Like, why is Jerry even, you know? Well, he's trying to date Elaine. He's I, trying- if also, if you're, that's true. Like, he wants to date the best friend. Maybe it's also, like, not the strictest party. Like, it's a bringer. You could bring your friends. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, if, like, if Watley really hates Jerry, then he would probably go out of his way to tell Elaine that, oh, Jerry's not invited. I hate him. Yeah. I don't know exactly what's, what's going on. So Kramer comes in and we got a problem. Uh, Mom and pop vanished. Never to be seen again in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. And so they ended up, it was all an act. They conned us, Jerry. They scored big time. This is really like one of the more narcissistic things that happened in the whole series, right? Yeah. And Elaine sort of calls this out. So mom and pop, their whole plan was to move into the neighborhood, 
establish trust for 48 years and then run off with the sneakers. And uh, Jerry, he seems like he's buying this, but Kramer's like, yeah, apparently that's what's going on. Yeah, really the longest of all cons. <laughs> yeah. And so Elaine has to go pick up Mr. Pitt's badge for the parade. All right. So we end up now with George back at the uh, Yankee Stadium for the meeting with Morgan. And so George has an idea a little outside the box for uh, the New York Yankees. He wants to start coming up with lots of days to celebrate different figures. Now, uh, how outside of the box of an idea is this? Uh, I think it's I think it's pretty inside the box. I feel like this was something that was happening more often with minor league teams. They're very into days like everything is a day to get people to come like Netflix and chill day. Netflix and chill. Oh, is that a day? Yeah, that's one. I think that's the Binghamton Mets is having a oh, yeah, Netflix I saw, and chill like, night. Did and they? Um, did <laughs> there was they a lot of articles that's like this does not mean what you think it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can only happen to the Mets. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm uh, trying to call out that uh, didn't like last year the Yankees like start having like uh, basically like they had like uh, like three or four days. They were just given like a day like that, like Bernie Williams and like uh, all. Bernie Williams was on the team, though. John Voight, not on the team. Right. But Bernie Williams is like the 30, you know, like one of the 25 best Yankees ever. John Voight is like a B-list celebrity actor. Yeah. And so Morgan says, you know what? How about from now on, no more meetings that George calls for? Yeah, again, one of the themes of this season and next season is the assistant to the traveling secretary is basically the most powerful person in the organization. <laughs> yeah. And George says, I suppose if I su- suggested Liam Neeson Day, you'd all be patting me on the back. And by the way, in this scene, they should have all been eating uh, Twix bars with forks and knives. So continue that gag. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Elaine is going to pick up the tickets. She's with a bunch of other contest winners and the band starts playing very loud. Next stop, Pottersville in her ear. Why can't she move? I don't know. Everybody else is like dancing. Everybody else is really into it. But maybe they're hard of hearing. It's like you said, it, the younger you are, like the more likely you're, you are to be next to a, the band at the wedding. And then like you can't hear the next day. I don't know if that ever happens to you. <laughs> no, it has not happened to me, but I will be on the lookout for it. And luckily that. Well, now you're not. I don't know. Like now we're not so young anymore. Maybe I'll be we'll watching. I'll be saying like, oh, they yeah. put all the kids right in front of the speaker. The kids, but, well, you don't want to put the babies. You don't want them to like be hard of hearing for their life. It's like the teenagers and the 20 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so then. After that, we see Kramer on the street and he's coming out of a building, but he has another nosebleed. And so then as he has a nosebleed, then he sees John Voight. (laughs) And it's funny because he just screams out, hey, John Voight, (laughs) John Voight. And so he ends up running for John Voight, who's getting into a car, getting into a cab. And then John Voight uh, bites Kramer's arm. Yes. And supposedly... Uh, Voight says that this was uh, not scripted, that he did it. And Richard looked shocked because he didn't expect it. Well, what was in the script? Um, I guess he drives away. I don't know. A lot of times, a lot of times with this, you know, type of thing, like it's apocryphal because we've seen this a lot. But it's like, but that was the whole scene. So if that didn't happen, what was it supposed to be? Maybe he was supposed to punch him. Maybe he was supposed to like give him the finger. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't understand why Kramer needed to have a nosebleed in this scene. Was it just to make him like more menacing that he has blood on his face? I, it's like we need the rule of threes. We need some more nosebleeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nosebleed storyline, Real other than Kramer looking up at the ceiling at the mom and pop store, then the nosebleed scene should be over because there's no more need for nosebleeding. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know exactly. Uh, unless this was the second beat in the story, which ultimately ends in Kramer getting a nosebleed at Tim Watley's party and knocking the Empire State Building statue out the window. 
But again, I think that things got a little crossed up here. Um, it's it's possible. All right. So you you seem like you're humoring me now. No, I'm not humoring you. So I'm not humoring you at all. I'm just not sure. Yeah. Okay. And now I really think you don't like me. <laughs> so Jerry oh, Rob, and George. I, Jerry. I like you. <laughs> all right. Like I'll ask well, you again. That, by the way, the I forgot to do something this episode. What's that? Elaine, 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 Elaine. Yeah. Okay. All right, so Jerry and George are back talking. Uh, Jerry is teasing George. So no John Voight day, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, that was really, like, it was probably never going to happen unless Voight is, like, related to the Steinbrenners. <laughs> right, so then we end up with Jerry talking about how this tooth is hurting him, but it's Thanksgiving weekend. He's not going to be able to get in to see a dentist, and so maybe he should go to the party because there's a lot of dentists there. I mean, do you think he was not going to go to the party if there were no dentists? I think so. I think he's like, ah, I don't know if I'm invited or not. I'm just going to skip it. He doesn't care about seeing any of the Thanksgiving Day floats. Like, there's nothing there of interest. He's not, he's not like, oh, there's somebody there I need to talk to. I mean, is it like, it's a really big city. There's got to be a dentist somewhere working. It's the day before Thanksgiving. It's not like Christmas Eve, you know? Maybe 94 is different than uh, 2016. Oh, you think dentists work a lot more now? Yeah, I think that you could find more sort of like uh, fly-by-night or 24-hour operations. Yeah, artisanal dentists also. <laughs> yeah. All right. So he doesn't want to suffer with that all weekend, so he's going to go. And so maybe he should just uh, go with George. And he's like, no, maybe I'll just meet you there. Yeah, it is funny. Like, this is one of the only times in the series, like, Jerry's the pariah of the four. Yeah, because George is a come-with guy. But here he's saying, no, I'm a meet-you-there guy. Yeah, you don't want to be, because George could get kicked out of the party if Jerry's really not invited and shows up. He could get banned, like it's Soup Nazis. That's right. All right. <laughs> and Tim Wiley's everybody's dentist, too. So you'd be banned from the dentist as well. I mean, I feel like that you could come, you know, you could come back from being banned from your dentist. All right, so here comes Kramer, and he talks about how he ran into John Voight, and there's a good line. He says, well, he was a little standoffish. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting about the John Voight biting? It's, it's the type of scene, and maybe, I guess, you have John Voight, you show the scene, and if you don't, you probably, but this is the type of scene that Kramer generally tells, not, not shows, you know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like the thing on the, it's the, you know, the marine biologist yeah. or the story with the bus or Dinky Donuts with DiMaggio. Right. I'm going to call Man. BS on the John Voight improvised the biting Kramer's arm storyline because the whole second half of the story is about how they found the pencil with the bite marks and they need to go to the party with the dentists. And then, I mean, maybe that's the reason where the, the Kramer's uh, sort of like knocks the thing out the window because he gets a nosebleed. Maybe there, it's possible that there was a reason for the whole rewrite of the bite marks on Kramer's arm from the improvised John Voight bite is why they had to put the pencil thing in there. And then, but I mean, George is walking around with the pencil the whole episode. It feels like no way they could have just improvised that one point. Maybe they had nothing. Maybe they were just like writing it as they aired. And like, <laughs> I don't you know. know. Voight saved the episode from being like the worst one ever. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> anyway, uh, they're going to bring Kramer to the party with the pencil because they're going to show it to the dentists. And uh, Jerry calls out that, uh, so you're going to show up at the party with a chewed up pencil and Kramer's gnarled arm? Um, yeah, I mean, why not? I feel it's like a funny, first of all, it's a funny party story, you know? Mm-hmm. You want to show up. I don't know how often you go to parties, but you need to have like one go-to, you know, anecdote or fact or story. Otherwise, what are you going to do? All right, so Jerry then asks Kramer, so you want to go to the party together? Kramer's like, look, I'm not going to be aiding and abetting some party crasher. 
I mean, uh, it, you know, Kramer likes, you know, breaking the law and sticking to the man. So I'm not sure why he's, you know, anti-Jerry here. Okay. So we get to Tim Watley's party. Jerry's sort of trying to be like incognito, like, hey, you dentist, you dentist. Uh, nobody is really giving Jerry any information. We see George and Jerry looking out the window at the Woody Woodpecker balloon. And they're talking about what's the big deal about Woody Woodpecker. Kramer likes him because he's an instigator. Yeah, I don't remember much about Woody Woodpecker, but I feel like no kid nowadays would know who he oh, was. Oh, forget it. No, he's, uh, he's done. He's had his day in the sun, and yeah. he's melted. You know what else has had its day in the sun? All Looney Tunes. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. If you showed that, you showed a mugshot of any of those people to uh, my son, he would have no idea who any of those people are. I would agree with my kids also, and I would say the only reason they know, like, you know, our kids are are younger for the most part, but like, my sisters, other than like going to Disney World, wouldn't know like the Mickey Mouse universe until Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Came well, that's back, what, you know? that was the you know big reboot of the franchise. They saved it. My, I'm, my sisters, like until they went to Disney World, or you know, kids who don't go to Disney World would have no idea who Mickey Mouse and certainly the whole Mickey Mickey Mouseiverse. You know, they wouldn't have ever heard of any of those people until the Clubhouse came back. Yeah, I think Bugs Bunny, that whole Warner Brothers cartoon empire. I think they really need a, a reboot. Yeah, I, I'm sure they know that, but I don't know how you. I don't know how you do it. I don't know what they do. Okay, well, that's not our problem. But anyway, well, I mean, it could become our problem if you know what I mean. <laughs> I guess we could work we on could it. Throw, we could throw a draft there together. Yeah. What if we had like a, you know a, like a like a pitch script for for like a reboot of uh, of Bugs Bunny? Are we recasting it with modern day actors? What do you mean, like someone doing Bugs's voice? Sure. It's like darker. Mar- Michael Sarah does Bug- Bugs Bunny's voice. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Uh, John Voigtis is that. Right. Space Jam was with those guys, right? Yeah, that I was really the what last... They're play- I think that the long-term play... I think they're trying to get, like, LeBron for, like, the new Space Jam. Yeah, but LeBron Jam. isn't doing it. Le- he would have done it 10 years ago. I feel like he's... He- He's holding out for like 100 mil and half, half the profits to, to do Space Jam at this point. Porzingis? LeBron doesn't get out of bed. LeBron, does, yeah, por, if you want to do it with Porzingis, he'll, he'll sign up. What about, you're not a big basketball fan, but I'm casting Boban, Boban Marjanovic right there. <laughs> Google Boban Mar, Marjanovic. You'll go down a, a rabbit hole. He's, he's like a seven foot four center for the Spurs. Can like kids a say that though? Boban Marjanovic. Rob, everyone's going to have a Marjanovic jersey by the end of the, uh, by the, you know, by the end this, he's going to be, you know, he's going to win the championship for them. <laughs> everyone's gonna know who he is yeah okay well <laughs> we'll see i think they probably put too many eggs in the lebron new space jam well i mean you're not a like a huge basketball guy but like, you could do it now with stephen curry yeah like lebron doesn't own the rights and now curry is like just as popular as lebron so mm. kids love curry so you could really do the curry also he's smaller he's more relatable you know you no one's ever going to be like you know lebron is like the best built athlete in the history of the world like curry it's like realistic Okay. Just your dad needs to be an NBA player, like marry an athletic woman. <laughs> yeah. You have to be around NBA players from the time you're three. 10,000 hours, yeah. And then, and then you become a, uh, you know. Ten, by the way, do you have 10,000 hours of podcasting? Oh, I think probably 20,000 at this oh, point. Oh, so you're no. like a real expert at this point. <laughs> no. Uh, we're we're cl- closing in, closing in, certainly. You should really, I mean, you don't have that countdown? No, I don't have a uh, countdown clock. I mean, I definitely not 10,000 on the air, but probably 10,000 in terms of like but most, uh, so you're parts. saying most of it got scrapped and like was never aired yeah no like no there's like i would say that you know an average podcast is probably you know an hour two hours on the air and then you know several more hours of getting it on the air yeah i don't know if the i don't know if the behind the scenes stuff counts for your podcast then yeah i don't know it's a good question malcolm gladwell on the podcast well your falconer could figure this out <laughs> that's your next job 
All we really all ask someone has to do is download every one of your podcasts right. and then put them on iTunes. And iTunes tells you like how many days and hours everything is. That's so I only get credit for the time talking on a podcast? Well, why would you get credit for, for producing it? That's a totally different job in most places. I feel like it's all the same job. No, talking on a podcast is being a podcaster. If you're like, you know, like, uh, you know, Adam Carolla isn't editing his own podcast, then wouldn't. So does he get the hours that his editor did? No, but he wasn't the person doing it. I but get what's this. Edit, like, is it? I mean, I guess you're editing your own stuff. But like, I don't know why uploading it. Why do you get points for uploading it? How does that help? I don't know. It's like, does David Wright get time on the practice field? Does that count as time? for? No, that's doing the same thing. If you were practicing podcasting, if you were like calling up okay. Josh Wigger, like, well, hey, all right, looking at practice, okay, like so David Wright is in the film room. He's looking yeah. at his swing. Does that count? I feel like that's not what you're doing when you're editing. It's not the same thing. It, I mean, I'm watching, listening <laughs> to a recording of me doing Yeah, because if, doing because something. you have to worry, you're worrying about other things. You're worrying about like what I'm cutting. Whereas <laughs> it's something. I'm not saying it doesn't help you, but I don't know if that counts towards your 10,000 hours. Let's ask, let's get, when, we get, when we have our Gladwell episode. Can I get some that. sort of like, you know, mileage write off, like uh, 0.35 cents on the dollar on those hours? No, it's all or nothing. A very binary way of looking at things, Akiva. Yeah, it's one or zero. <laughs> so anyway, so George and Kramer, they're talking about uh, the pencil and the bite marks, and they're trying to, uh, they find like a very, uh, a, a very nice woman dentist who's going to be able to tell them, and we have John Voight's pencil. And so we have now here, we see the first introduction of Tim Watley, and again, the hunky Tim Watley. He's a good looking man. Yeah. Good looking guy. I, again, this is a whole side of, again, maybe uh, you can imagine him in some sort of like uh, Breaking Bad prequel meeting Skyler. It is funny because like he was almost typecast before Breaking Bad as being the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. Mm-hmm. And I know someone whose favorite show ever is Malcolm in the Middle. Who's that? I mean, we don't know the same people. Okay. You, I mean, my friend Shuey. Do you know Shuey? Yes. Okay, fine. Perfect. I had no idea. And um, <laughs> so... I think that uh, my dad always does that, by the way. Like if someone will mention it, he'll be like, who's that? Like uh, you don't know. Like they live in Nebraska. I don't know. They're like a 70 or 8 year old woman. You know, like he still he'll ask like eight follow up questions. They could be a listener. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah, that's one way of saying nosy. Sure. The, <laughs> we the, like the same musician on Twitter and I've been retweeting many of his tweets. My dad? Shuey. Oh, really? Have you? Yeah. He made a video. Oh, because I knew you weren't talking about my, my dad. My dad's like an egg on Twitter. He just uh, he's just like stalking my sister, making sure she doesn't do anything bad on Twitter. Um, Which account? Luckily, no, none, of, none, none of these people listen to my podcast. So, yeah. You know. um, but anyway, so but in this guy, Shuey, he um, he likes Malcolm in the Middle, but he doesn't. He's ne- he like never watched Breaking Bad. So to him, Brian Cranston is like the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. Like he doesn't even like think that Breaking Bad exists. Okay. But anyway, yeah. So but this is like a big it was a big jump to go from <laughs> Watley to to Hal, whatever his name is, to, you know, Malcolm Hill. Like, who knew that Frankie Muniz wouldn't be the, the guy to blow up? Not the too. go-to guy, yeah. Anyway, so we're at the Tim Watley party, and so uh, we're talking with uh, Tim Watley, and Elaine is there as well because she can't hear because of the big band performance. Uh, Jerry asks her to marry him, and she's like, what, what? And he's like, ah, oh, forget it, never mind. Shades of the finale, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so... Tim Watley is talking to Elaine and he asks Elaine if she'd like to go out with him on New Year's Eve. But at the same time, he's like holding out like a bowl of chips and Elaine waves off the chips. But Tim Watley is dejected. Uh, Yeah. You know, she just assumes because he's like kind of eyeing them and pointing at them. 
And uh, yeah, she assumes. But it's, you know, we'll have res- you know, this will be resolved at a later date. Yeah. And somehow Tim Watley ends up with the pencil and he's holding it in his mouth. And so you see that George is uh, saying, hey, get that pencil out of your mouth. Uh, that's John Voigt's pencil. You're ruining it. Yeah. So why does he have the pencil in his mouth? I don't know. <laughs> he ends up, he's like holding stuff and he ends up having the pencil in his mouth. And George is saying like, hey, get that pencil out of your mouth. And so yeah, that's John Voigt's pencil. And uh, Tim oh, yeah, he does it to take down some, the guy who's leaving number, who's leaving his number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he says, yeah, uh, are you the one that bought his LeBaron convertible? Yeah. And so we find out that, yes, yes, that finally we have some confirmation about John Voigt's convertible. And it turns out that Tim Watley went to dental school with John Voigt, the periodontist. Uh, yeah, I think you know, like this is amazing that just everybody knows this John Voight and he sold his car and he didn't even sell his car. He, you know, he traded it into a dealership and who happens to have sold it to a third person. Yeah, I will. I don't think it's that uncommon in a small town like Manhattan. Sure. Of course. That everybody knows each other. You're talking about a town where every single uh, waitress at a deli knows the, every other waitress. in the city. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, that's what they always say about New York, the town where everybody knows your name. It's a, it's a sleepy town, I think they say. And uh, basically, you know, if you're there, you can make it anywhere because everyone knows who you are. Everybody knows you. All right. So Jerry finally gets somebody to look at his tooth. Uh, we never find out why Elaine is carrying this like a giant sharp object Empire State Building. Uh, that uh, is that a gift for Tim Watley? We never we, like Elaine is walking in with it, but we never get yeah, why did somebody put it on the windowsill? It's like an accident waiting to happen. I feel like they cut it because it makes like it's so prominent and it, it like and it's you know it's important to the scene. But it's, I don't think it, you know, it's not mentioned or, or even implied. Like, it's probably a gift because the way she's holding it when she comes in. But it's also, it looks like a trophy. Mm-hmm. So I, I have no idea what it is. Yeah. It's almost like I feel like it would have made more sense in the story if it's like, you know, John, like they sharpen John Voight's pencil and they throw yeah. it out the window. And then John Voight's pencil ends up uh, popping Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, but that's just totally outlandish. <laughs> All right. Like, didn't we establish that like a penny can't kill someone from a hundred rows up? You know, in this a hundred stories up in this in during this podcast, like how could a pencil? I don't what know. If I don't it was know really sharp that. and you really flicked it very hard out the window, like a throwing. You think star. The flicking is really what's going to pop the balloon? I feel uh, and these balloons are enormous. Yeah, like a dart. one time we went to the parade and we went there really late. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe on purpose or just because we're always late everywhere. And my kids like they wanted to see them deflating the balloons and you end up you could get very close to the deflators and these balloons are enormous and it takes like a really long time i don't think even the sharpest pencil even if it was like a giant woody woodpecker pencil would pop this balloon yeah all right so jerry ends up with putting his head backwards he knocks the thing out the window and then like there's just like air blowing through the window i feel like that that does not seem like that's actually what would happen if you popped one of the macy's thanksgiving day balloons yeah i mean i feel like it would be more gradual right i just feel like that if you were if there was a balloon that was popping or deflating on the street and you were up in tim watley's apartment you would not have like gale force winds coming through the window probably not but uh (laughs) You know, maybe it was uh, maybe it was like a, an unseasonably warm, uh, you know, there's so many people in the apartment. Couldn't couldn't like the window be open because it was hot. I have no issue with the window being open. I'm saying that I just don't feel like that. I mean, that I would imagine that the air would probably. But I mean, it wasn't like the the Woody Woodpecker balloon was right up against Tim Watley's window. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, so we see that everybody gets mad at Jerry, and uh, even Tim Watley looks at Jerry and wants to know, uh, you know, who invited you anyway? You're a troublemaker. Hmm. Yeah, I, to me, the, I, the way he says it, I guess that's pretty clear indication that uh, that Jerry was not invited. Even though, like, who invited you is, like, a joking thing you would say to somebody when they mess up, Yeah, right? if you were, like, sort of, like, breaking their balls, like, uh, who invited you to this party anyway? Maybe they said it to leave some, you know, doubt, but I do think that you're probably right. Okay. So, <laughs> Jerry does, like, the Woody Woodpecker laugh, like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so, the next day, we see the... Woody Woodpecker balloon. Now, I don't understand. Like, it looked like Jerry popped it. What did they just like duct tape it closed? And then it's- probably or like, yeah, because they noticed immediately. Yes, it was a it was a, like a trophy falling on this giant balloon from how, who knows how many stories up. But within two seconds, the people holding the balloon knew not only that it had been deflated, but also the fact like who had done it, you know, because there's only one person near a windowsill in Manhattan, you know, on like the 13th floor, you know, on on the street at night so they already knew the culprit and what had happened but apparently the damage wasn't bad enough to not try and bring the balloon to the parade yeah so maybe they duct taped it and glued it up and and thought they were okay okay so they're lucky that nobody was murdered i do think that uh a couple years after this a balloon crushed someone to death or two people to death in the thanksgiving parade oh my god that sounds it rings a bell it wasn't mr pitt right uh i mean it could have been like the real life mr pitt i don't know i don't know um which balloon it was? I, do you want to take bets on which balloon was no, the murder? No, too dark, too dark. Well, it's a balloon. We're not talking about the like. We're not guessing like the person's name. No, let's <laughs> let's not go there. Let's not go there. We've had so many so many other pleasant diversions in this episode. So the next day, here's where things really get wacky. So we were watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade on TV, and the Woody Woodpecker balloon is running out of air. Uh, we see a shot of Mr. Pitt <laughs> trying to hold up the balloon. So Jerry gets a call on the phone. From a guy who says, you don't know me, but a really strange thing happened. I was at a garage sale and the old couple sold me a pair of used sneakers. They said belonged to Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian. Uh, yeah. Let me just let me just make a correction on air here. Yes. The offending balloon. Uh, this is 1997. Uh, the uh, no one was killed, but the the offending balloon was the cat in the hat. Cat in the hat. And the, the balloons were no longer allowed to be over 70 feet tall and a few other restrictions. They had to get rid of the biggest, most lumbering balloons, and that was the Cat in the Hat and Woody Woodpecker. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. So no more Woody Woodpecker. So that's why, that's, really, that was the end, beginning of the end of the Woodpecker era. Okay. But let's talk about this guy that calls up on the phone. How did this young man, who apparently is a fan of Jerry Seinfeld, how did he get the home phone number of Jerry Seinfeld to call Jerry Seinfeld and verify if he is the Jerry Seinfeld comedian and the mom and pop sold him the sneakers? The only thing I can think, realistically, because Jerry's clearly not listed in, I mean, unless you want to say Jerry's much less famous than we think he is, and like, even though he's on The Tonight Show. But he's so famous, that mom but and may, pop. What if he was listed in like the 1992 Yellow Pages, but not the 93, or white? I don't remember which one is the people mm-hmm. and which are the businesses. But what if he's in the phone book uh, in 92, and then like he goes on The Tonight Show, and he's out for 93, but like his parents, this kid's parents have like a few phone books, you know? So they look in the 91 phone book in manhattan and they find seinfeld it's not such a common name and you call him up he's got the same number jerry doesn't have to change his number he's not that famous jerry does not seem to be concerned at all that a random fan of his has his home phone number right maybe and maybe he called his agent it's thanksgiving day yeah that's a good point <laughs> listen rob i don't if you want to be a real agent you're answering calls on thanksgiving can i have the address of the garage sale so jerry is now jerry and kramer on thanksgiving day 
get our boarding a bus to go to a mom and pop or having a garage sale on Thanksgiving somewhere in New Jersey. Are we Parsippany? Sh- yeah, this is a pretty big plot hole. You just really blew the lid off this. I mean, are Maybe, we saying I have heard that in Parsippany they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That they're anti-Thanksgiving. Right now, are Kramer and Jerry headed to Parsippany? Because that's where the last known whereabouts were for mom and pop. And maybe the garage sale isn't happening on Thanksgiving and they're just going to go and start to investigate. Do you think that's like the next day? I think they are on board a bus on Thanksgiving Day. But perhaps the yard sale happened even the weekend before. Oh, yeah, that's not a bad point. Because, right, he would have had to go to the yard sale, see it, get Jerry's number. And Mm -hmm. now that I think about it, like if this guy's in Parsippany to the yard sale, he might not even have a Manhattan phone book. Yeah. In his house. He might have the Persephone phone book. You don't want that. That's just a bunch of Thanksgiving haters in there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I have to go to the library. So it took him like five days to get Jerry's phone number. You think at the library they had phone books back then? I have no idea. Could not tell I don't you. I think that's true at all. Could have been on microfiche. You just made that up. <laughs> I did not. All right. So we now go to Jerry and Kramer in the Midnight Cowboy scene. Uh, where Kramer is talking about the nosebleeds are starting again, and Jerry is trying to take care of Kramer. Maybe we should get you in the hospital. He's not going to the hospital. He's falling apart. I mean, if you go to the hospital for nosebleeds, like, have you ever been to an emergency room? No. Like, they're, they're, you're going to be seen after, like, it's just going to be a constant stream of people coming in and, you know, jumping you in line. Oh, my God. Right? Like, who's get, you're not getting seen so fast yeah. for your nosebleeds. But anyway, this is like a send-up of the end of Midnight Cowboy with Dustin Hoffman and John Voight riding on the bus. And they have, like, their arms around each other with the music playing? Yeah, Dustin Hoffman is dying on the bus. He's dying Spoiler on the bus? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh, no. I was going to watch YouTube. Midnight Cowboy. That was going to be my movie tonight. <laughs> you can watch it on YouTube. Okay. All right, Akiva. Let's, let's start to sort of put all the pieces in place. So let's start off with, okay, 94 to 2016. Any big changes for you? I feel like you could go on John Voight's Instagram or like his girlfriend's Instagram or whoever, you know, and you could find a picture of his car probably. Mm -hmm. Or his daughters. Or his daughters. You could Google like, well, there's probably, now that I think about it, I'm not a big car guy at all, but I I do think there's probably like a site that has celebrity cars, you know? Hmm. Like what is John Voight driving? You'd at least have a chance. I don't know if you get every single celebrity with their up-to-date car, but I bet that site exists. And if it doesn't, it's a pretty, you know, if you're like an enterprising college kid, that's a pretty good idea for a website. Yeah, why not? I feel like that, that, that idea may have like, that was a good <laughs> idea for like 2002. I'm not sure if you should really spend a lot of time on that now. Okay. And so you could Google John Voight's car probably more easily. Probably. Uh, Mom and pop would be long out of business by now. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, they, Walmart would have came. They would have had their own cobbler and good night, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, Mom and pop's store would have long been a Starbucks. When you say out of business, do you mean like, uh, like I meant the, the, bus- the family business? Yeah. But you know what's also weird about mom and pop that we find out from Kramer? Like they didn't even have kids, but yet they refer to each other as mom and pop. It is a little weird. And also they refer to each other as mom and pop, I believe, when nobody else is around. Yeah. Uh, by the way, tremendous job of both mom and pop to at least, according to IMDb, both be, you know, still be kicking it. Oh, we wow. Really could have had mom and pop on this well, What episode. do you mean still be kicking it? Like they're, they're still, uh, you know, still uh, around. There's yeah. still a lot. Okay. I didn't, Mom was in Titanic. Oh. Which is your favorite movie. So I'm kind of shocked. You didn't oh, I re- thought you meant the boat. <laughs> Both. <laughs> well, she was yeah. born in 29. The, the Titanic sailed in, uh, do you know the year the I, Titanic sailed? I think it was 1912. Yeah. Oh, look at you. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, anyway, so it, I think it was only the hundredth year anniversary recently. So anyway, uh, Kiva, let's do our letter grades for uh, this episode. Mm-hmm. Let's start with uh, George John Voight's car. Uh, I mean, it's funny. Uh, there's no super classic scene, but the idea is pretty good. Uh, B plus. Yeah, I think that you're being a little hard on. I think it is pretty classic. The whole idea of John Voight's car, and I'll give it an A. Okay. Jerry and I guess what, what is Jerry's storyline that he doesn't have shoes <laughs> he doesn't have shoes and he needs to go to the party because he's not invited <laughs> to check out his tooth yeah I don't know pretty flimsy about as flim- since we started doing this about as flimsy a storyline as anybody's had for, for Jerry yeah for Jerry yeah and okay so what is that like a C C slash incomplete almost okay what about Kramer with the mom and pop store like an F I hate that the episode is named the mom and pop store what would you rename the episode it makes no sense uh john the the problem is the the we're hampered here by the because it could just be called john voight's car and everyone would remember the episode right it would Uh, i think the woodpecker would be better how about the used car the used car would be better the joe pepitone day like (laughs) literally anything yeah you know the the dentist like because you don't know Watley's coming back like if you just did the dentist that's okay that's yeah. better than um the mom and pop it's it's literally the d story and we're naming the episode after the d story. right the problem is with the john voight car is how do you spell it because i think then you're going to tip off the joke All right, i just there. nailed the episode what Rob. is it no it's it's actually worse but it, it's the same issue but it's better the cobbler the cobbler <laughs> which was like an adam sandler movie that has like a 3.2 on uh, or this week's better call saul episode yeah, well, they're just ripping off the Adam Sandler movie like they always do Better Call Saul. Yeah. No, uh, Wait I think... till next week's Ridiculous 6 episode of, of a Better Call Saul. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, the used car. Yeah, you think the used car works, yeah. Or I the agree. Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad. Okay. Anyway, uh, then Elaine and her storyline of that she has to win contest tickets for Mr. Pitt, and then she loses her hearing. By the way, the cowboy boots is even better than mom and pop store, that's and that's good. not good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Elaine loser hearing the pro- the thing with Elaine is it's not really her storyline, but it's my favorite part of the episode when she does the the like the long con bit where it's like forty eight years of just waiting for your sneakers. Mm-hmm. So I'll give her a B for that. But she also doesn't. You know, most of the scenes with Mister Pitt so far have been a dud. Uh, this was actually okay, but I also hate the big band music, so I'm not interested in hearing it. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like this episode does not grade out well, but I still overall did enjoy this outing. It's not a well put together episode. There's 400 holes in it. A thousand if, if Voight didn't come up with the genius of biting Kramer's off. <laughs> yes, yes. I do love John Voight's car and then John Voight's pencil and then everything that happens there. So overall, where does this land in your rankings? Okay. Well, also, to me, it has the worst stand up because we didn't even talk about the end stand up, which is also kind of like, why does a marching band march? Like, great. That's, you know. Yeah. And uh, the worst stand up and maybe the worst ending so far for me, because, the, you know, you don't find out the re- there's no resolution to the mom and pop stuff. Yeah. But I think that the Midnight Cowboy scene is lost on you because you haven't seen the movie and I haven't seen it either. But I feel like at well, least Rob, I, was... I didn't know there would be homework for the sitcom episode on, on you know, nine o'clock on Thursday night. I didn't right. Know. But it's the same sort of thing where it's like, OK, if you didn't know that the Judge Reinhold Schindler's List bit that he's doing at the end, if you didn't know. Yeah, that, but that's not the whole whole like that you're still fine like it still holds up a little bit more on its own here you're just looking at nothing like why are they just like because it's on that's why you watch it but that's not why it's good (laughs) so i'm going to be very harsh on this episode okay because i do think even though it's funnier than some of the episodes above it uh to me we haven't gotten this low down in a while but i have mom and pop store at 144 oh you're too low too low it's not it's first of all the mom and pop stuff is garbage yes the the stand-up is almost offensively bad yeah 
Like if I, if I put it, here's how I think about this. If I was trying to get someone into Seinfeld who had never seen it, and I sh- the second they hear the Lamona lawyer joke, they're turning off the television. What if they love John Voight? I don't know if you even get them to the next. And how many like Voight? I, they'd have to be like a, the biggest Angelina Jolie fan. What if they're a big Voight head? <laughs> I think it's, uh, what, what would be a better name for, like Kesha has the animals and like Lady Gaga has like the idiot. I don't know what her fans are, but like. Swift has the Swifties and the Directioners. What would the Voights be called? Uh, you think just Voight heads? Is that good? <laughs> what, if they're a, what if they're a John Voight supporter? I think it's a Voight vigilante. Voight vigilante. Okay. All right. That's the leading contender for a hashtag right now. All right, Akiva, uh, let's get into these emails. Also, by the way, that uh, Chester uh, put your ass on the wall uh, last week, said you forgot to give the episode rating for last week's episode. Of the soup. Oh, that's right. Uh, it was 64. 64? Yeah, it was 64. Okay. Double dose. All right. Uh, let's get into some of these uh, mom and pop emails here today on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. Seinfeld at postshowrecap.com. Uh, of course, uh, one note here. We are going to be recording this podcast a little bit earlier in the week, uh, much to the dismay of some, uh, because I know people say that we don't give you enough time to get your emails in after you listen to the episode. Typically, the episode gets posted Saturday, Sunday. We're going to record on Tuesday. So you got a couple of days there. But what we're also going to do, I think, do, okay, here's an email also about last week's episode. So if you have something good, we'll, we'll get to it for the next, for last week's show. As yeah, well. or if we miss something. The, only, the thing I'm, I'm, you know, thing also is like, even though you might not hear our episode till Sunday or Monday, you, you know what episode we're doing next. So right, you could always, you. Like, you, you could binge ahead. or go ahead or something. You can get ahead. Okay. All right. So... Johnny DeSavera says, Tom Gamble believed he was buying John Voight's car when he initially bought the LeBaron. It would later come out in an interview during Press for National Treasure that the LeBaron actually belonged to John Voight's mother. And see, that's really like two degrees of celebrity. Yeah. But I guess, if, but then, but at that point, it's not John Voight's mother. It's Angelina Jolie's grandma. Mm. Or like, that's... soon it'll be like Pax Jolie's great grandma's. I don't know. I, don't, I could only name one person. <laughs> Even also, that's it. Also, Johnny Dizvero says, uh, why is it never explained why Kramer keeps getting the nosebleeds and how does he get them to stop? Well, I think that the reason why Kramer is getting the nosebleeds, I believe Kramer is traveling through time throughout the episode. That is possible. Uh, but I think uh, Dr. Thomas uh, has in an email has a, another idea. OK, let's go to Dr. Thomas says, uh, Robin Akiva, Kramer's nosebleeds in the episode could have a number of causes. Nosebleeding commonly occurs in healthy people, but in rarer cases may be related to underlying conditions such as problems with blood clotting, liver disease, and the use of some medications. An interesting possibility, however, is cocaine toxicity. Does this lend credence to the Kramer is a drug dealer theory? It's not a theory. We've established that Kramer is a drug dealer. That's canon. Right, but in the sniffing accountant, Kramer seems pretty anti-cocaine use. Yeah, oh yeah, I don't know if he does cocaine. I think he just deals pot. Mm, but then that would not give you a nosebleed. How do you know? Are you like are you like a big drug pot guy? I don't no, know. but I'm a big nosebleeder. One of oh, the yeah, okay. <laughs> second coolest thing to being a pothead. Right. That I have gotten uh, most of my life. Like I have gotten, uh, you know, I get nosebleeds like very, but they like come in like waves where it's mm. like, you know, I might not have a nosebleed for a year. And then you go on a first date and like nosebleed. Right, right. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I might get like uh, nosebleeds where I could just like touch my nose and I'm like uh, gushing blood. And it's really like, uh, I, I don't know why, but it really comes and goes and it comes like in waves. Did this happen in elementary, in elementary school a lot for you? 
I don't know if it happened often in elementary school, but I'm sure. Because I feel like it was never like the coolest kid who got the nosebleed. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. Like John Wayne wasn't getting any nosebleeds. Like I remember like maybe a couple very early on, like as a kid, like having to go to like the doctor and like having to get, I think I'm using the right word, having to get like my nose like cauterized, cauterized. Did you pick your nose a lot? Because sometimes that's why nosebleeds happen. Uh, I'm sure that that has been uh, a factor at some at some point, but it's not necessarily like a um, you know that's not always the cause. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but you never found out the real reason why you yeah you got the nosebleed. No, it's always on the same side too. Same nose. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, uh, Craig writes in and says, uh, Kramer was really ahead of the curve on this. Mom and pop stores are a dying breed now because all those coffee and cookie stores. Elaine has the great moment when she spells out how ridiculous Kramer's theory is of stealing the sneakers. Uh, Isn't it also odd that the episode is coming here one day before the Oscars where Cranston is going to get his first Oscar win? I mean, he is going after it. He's going after it. I don't think he's going to win it. Yeah. I mean, he has no shot against Leo, but he's considered a dark horse. I mean, Leo has no Oscars, right? No Oscars. Yeah. Boy, Cranston, I mean, he stole all those Emmys. And if Cranston won this, I mean, he's won an Emmy. He's probably won the he Grammy. Won many right? Emmys. Yeah, many Emmys. He's, has he won a Grammy? I'm sure. I mean, a, a Golden Globe? <laughs> yeah, I think he's probably got the Golden so Globe. So he just needs the Grammy for the EGOT. Yeah, boy. Although I did I did introduce like a whole nother. You know about the EGOT, right? Yes. I uh, We were talking about, uh, Chester and I, about how The Rock could end up being the first EGOTs. He could get the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, the Tony, and the Slammy Award from the Yes, w. and the Slammy. I don't think anybody's ever hit all five. I'm going to hold out on The Rock winning a Tony anytime soon. Well, you don't think The Rock could do Broadway? The Rock could do whatever he wants. I'm sure he could. And also, like, he has the thing, you know how, like, with the Oscars, you go, like, charm the voters? Mm -hmm. The Rock could just scare the voters. First of all, he's also the most charming guy on earth, but he could also just scare the voters into voting for him. Yeah. He would just, like, show up, like, oh, I know your address. I know you drive a Baron. (laughs) All right. Amir writes in and says, I find it inappropriate that Kramer should attack anyone about their go-go corporate takeover lifestyles considering he's the CEO of Kramerica Industries. Yeah, very hypocritical of him. Yeah, but listen, that's what happens with the yuppies. They're hypocrites. Yeah. Were cookie stores a big thing in the 90s? I know gourmet cupcakes had a revival in the aughts, but I don't remember cookie stores ever being popular. I think Kramer was just like joking around. I don't, I don't know if there was ever a cookie store. And if there was, it would be now. And there aren't any. Also, Amir writes in and says, the windowsill is a very dangerous location for Tim Watley to keep that trophy. They're lucky it popped Woody Woodpecker and didn't impale a young child. Also, what exactly is the trophy for? First place in an Empire State Building competition? Well, I think that Amir is missing that Elaine walks in with the trophy. It's not a Tim Watley's trophy. Well, I, maybe he's teaching us something that we don't know. Why is this Watley's... Why is this Watley's trophy and why is Watley keeping it on the windowsill, even if it is Watley's? I feel like Elaine brought it in as a gift for Tim. And then it's the oh, somebody- so now Watley, like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not going to go into my bedroom. Right. I'm just going to put it on the windowsill. Like, OK, yeah, that's a crazy place for anything that you want to keep. Right. And so there it is. I don't know exactly what's going on there. All right. Finally, Chester, so in 2015, the radio competition would never work because everyone has Soundhound on their phone. Boy, Chester knows all the angles. He really does. Whoa, wait, wait. The angles. He's never heard of Shazam. What's Soundhound? <laughs> Soundhound. Is Chester an investor in Soundhound? Probably. This is like sometimes people will be like, uh, you know, if hypothetically I had like a, like a gambling, uh, you know, like an NCAA tournament pool. And once in a while, somebody will be like, hey, can I pay with like Schmorkel? And I'll be like, uh, do you by any chance own Schmorkel? Because I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And the answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think. I think that uh, a Soundhound, yeah. First of all, if Chester owns it, I want a piece of it. Uh, let me Google. Okay. 
Soundhound. Uh, Soundhound is the uh, Silicon Valley startup started by Sean Falconer, uh, which analyzes the audio of different things. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it's legit. I don't know. I feel like Shazam is probably much higher in the app store than Soundhound. <laughs> All right. Finally, uh, Chester says a guy with Mr. Pitt's wealth and connections could probably get a spot holding the parade float without resorting to radio competitions. Again, Chester, he knows all the angles. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I don't Doesn't feel saying. like Mr. Pitt's leveraging his high status. Yeah, but wh- I mean, he probably couldn't get Woodpecker, though, because those spots were given away. I'm sure he could get like, uh, you know, Big Bird. Oh, maybe. But the, Woodberg, the Woodpecker spots are given away. So like, it, unless he's going to buy it off one of these... You know, he could have just gone to the, you know, the place where all the people are picking up the things for and offered a guy a hundred bucks for his spot. I'm sure he could have gotten it. Okay. All right, Akiva. What's the hashtag today? Uh, what would we say? Void something? Void's vigilantes? Void's vigilantes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that uh, something, I would love to do something with the Steph Curry Space Jam. Well, what about it? I like, like I, I like. Who's that, the that starting one. five in the Steph Curry? See, the problem is you're well, not like a big NBA guy. I'm not sure if right. you would be able to. Uh, it's Daffy I got Duck, Steph Curry, Elmer Who? Fudd, Bugs. No, but you have you have Steph the five. Curry. First, you have the five NBA players, and then you get the Tweety five Bird, Looney Tunes. right? Yeah, but there's five Looney Tunes and there's five NBA players, right? They, no, I think that the Looney Tunes and the NBA players are on the same team. They're taking on aliens. Right, but they like back them up or something when they lose their powers. Like there were definitely five NBA players because there's MJ, Ewing, Muggsy Bogues. There was definitely five. Hmm. So I think the NBA players are Boban Marjanovic, Stephen Curry, uh, obviously Porzingis. You got to have Porzingis mm-hmm. in there. Porzingis pig. Right. Uh, I'm try- Well, Porzingis. You know. you, no, no love for Porzingis pig? <laughs> I don't know. After you, after you know so my whole... My twenty my twenty minute OJ story last week. I'm still I'm still bitter. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other two guys are uh, Markeith Morris and Marcus Morris of the Suns, and like they get kicked off the team in about five minutes because they're basically you know lunatics uh, who get you know get upset when they're not on the same team because one of them gets traded, and then it ends up being uh, the Lopez twins, Robin and Brooke Lopez. They're they're on the team because uh, even though they can't live together because their cats don't get along in real life. Okay. All right. Akiva, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, this this might be the longest single 22-minute Seinfeld episode recap that we've done. Yeah, or that anyone's done. I would say uh, probably not the highest quality, but definitely if you're interested in length of a podcast, this is your episode right this here. This is your episode. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's going to do it here for us. Follow Akiva on Twitter, not his sister, at Keeve26. I am at Rob Sisternino, of course. Uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who really... Uh, did a fantastic job here getting through this one today. And also Mike Moore, who writes our episode recap on postshowrecaps.com. You can subscribe to the Seinfeld podcast at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. And we greatly appreciate it when you leave us your feedback and comments on our iTunes page. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Akiva, what's next week? Uh, Next week, we got the secretary. Secretary. All right. Should be a lot of fun coming up uh, next week. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. (laughs) 